Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. Together, we make a better decision for Scotland. If we do manage to get the government engaged going forward, hopefully it'll be much more successful than the last attempt. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday and your host for the show as we talk budgets and lockdown and catch up with Professor Chris Evans. In the boardroom, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide business insight and advice. You can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. So, gentlemen, before we get down to the UK budget that will be announced on Wednesday, this week saw both the UK and Scottish governments unveil their respective plans for the easing of lockdown. Did either deliver for business, Tom? Well, I think what business needs is we need a plan, a plan to come out of um, this lockdown we're in. I mean, it's, it's crippling us, obviously. And I'm afraid we didn't get it in Scotland, the plan seemed to fizzle out on April the 26th. Everybody, every single person needs something to look forward to, Donald. If it's a wee holiday or whatever it is, and every business needs a plan because businesses don't just turn off and on on a a spigot here. Um, And therefore, I, I understand politicians don't want to be tied to dates and it's data not dates but let's just say here's how we make decisions in government let's be transparent the Scottish government talk about transparency so let's be transparent let's just say when the data whether it's vaccines or the R number or the hospitalizations whatever we are looking at the data to make decisions if we hit this number, we will open up this. If we don't, I think we all understand that it needs... So it's not firm dates, it's hopeful dates if the data tells us. I believe that tells the Scottish population that we've got to keep up with the rules just now because there's hope down the line. If there's no hope, there's no future. Willie, how did you see the announcements? I thought the there was more dates obviously laid down by the UK government than, than there was the Scottish government and, and I think that that helps businesses adjust and get ready for, for these particular dates. I think there's there was a lot of ambiguity still around about the, the dates, you know, um, that were announced by the Scottish government. Again, you know, we can dress that up as being more cautious and we can all say, well, okay, let's take another four weeks and it may be save us another six months. I think the, the big data factor would be, are the hospitals still being overrun? And it looks like all the data I've seen this week in both Scottish TV and in, in the UK um, outlets for media has been that certainly there's been a huge dent in the pressure on the NHS and that obviously must be down to the vaccine. Um, I, talking to people I see people now with a lot more confidence because of the vaccine and they're, they're obviously and, and both um, Scotland and the UK seem to be doing well with rolling out the vaccine so for me um, I think that the next time there's an announcement I think it's going to be in three weeks for the First Minister I think people are looking for a, a lot more clarity on actual dates for when they can when they can open up I feel really sorry for the tourism sector in Scotland right now because we're all saying, well, is foreign travel going to happen? Not sure. But staycations are the things. If I was running a hospitality business in Scotland right now, I would be pulling what hair I've got left out of my head, quite simply, because people in England are booking staycations, but they're not booking them in Scotland because you can't. It's terrible. 
is certainly difficult for that sector. Lockdowns also had an impact on Kilt Walk. Fantastic initiative, raised millions for charity, supported, of course, by the Hunter Foundation. But you've been a bit creative to ensure it goes ahead this year, Tom. Yeah, so the, the, the Kilt Walk, I mean, we absolutely love the Kilt Walk. It, it might just be the single most important thing the Hunter Foundation ever does. Um, we've helped over 2,000 Scottish charities since we got going, um, so we love it. Now, we weren't allowed to walk together, understandably, last year. Um, and so far this year, we can't do it either. But what we've done, the Kilt Walk team are brilliant, led by Paul Cooney. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to have a virtual Kilt Walk over the weekend of the 23rd to the 25th of April. And basically what we're saying to people is whatever charity you care about, you go and raise money for it, whatever it is. And whatever you raise, the Hunter Foundation will top it up by 50%. So within the government guidelines, if you can walk, if you can bounce on your trampoline, if you can go for a swim, whatever it is, just do it because there's never been a more important time to help charities in Scotland. And we really want the Kilt Walk to be that platform from where you raise for what you care about. Great. Willie? What I'm really impressed about the Kilt Walk is, the whole initiative is, is that we obviously support many charities, but I don't think there can be any charitable organisation that just gives you the platform and puts all the professionalism around, you know, raising money for charities and helps you with that and then gives you money for doing it. So for us, being involved with the Kilt Walk has been absolutely superb. And as I say, I've never seen another charity that operates in this way with the transparency also that it's got. So we have absolutely no problem. It's great when you put in X amount and you get X amount back plus more. So for us, you know, we're delighted to be involved with the Kilt Walk. There's also a fun event having taken part in the past is brilliant. But if I can move on now to the UK budget, I'm going to hit you with some, some pretty quick-fire questions, so uh, quick answers on this. Come to you, Tom, first. What single initiative to help business and boost our recovery would you like to see over all others? So I think this is a job to rebuild. It's a job for, It's a budget for the future, and it's a budget for jobs. So I would like to see the NI contributions for employers and employees scrapped for a year for all new jobs created from March the 3rd onwards. Fantastic. Willie? I think that for me, I think one thing that would help greatly would be a further holiday on on VAT and maybe NI contribution payments. I think at the moment where small businesses will struggle will be in cash flow and I think that anything that we can do to help them in the short term I think would, would, would work. And I, and I also think this is going to be a big thing that will affect everybody. I think that the government have to look at how they can help, you know, the, the high street. And I think that helping, you know, the people who own the stores in the high street to give rent uh, holidays for the people who are occupying the stores, I think that we have to look at this. Ultimately, if we look back to the last crash, it, also, it was all around about the banks and a bailout of the banks. And ultimately, at the moment, if the people who own the high street will owe the banks, I think it's, it's actually going to turn out to be another bank bailout. But only this time, there's a chance of actually getting the money paid back. So for me, that would be the two initiatives. Okay, another one, corporation tax. There's been hints it's gone up a penny a year up until the next general election, but now they're even talking about moving it from 19p straight up to 25 pence. Tom, a sensible balance move or damaging the business? Yeah, corporation tax is quite an easy one for um, the Chancellor. It raises about $3.3 billion for every point that's raised. But it's a tax on profits, Donald. You've got to make profits in order to be taxed. So I think it will go up, but let's make it gradual. Willie? Um, I, I agree, and I don't have a problem with an increase in tax on profits. Where I have a problem is when you start to increase the NI contribution, and that's a tax on you whether you make profits or not. I think that's a big, big problem, and I I think Gordon Brown threw everybody a few years ago when that NI uh, increase came from nowhere. No one's seen it coming. And I think that had a big, big effect in, in, in how people voted. But for me, um, I have no problem. But what I'd like to see is, I'd like to see him thinking out the box. And it's probably taking us about, I don't know, 
13 years now to recover from the last financial crash when the banks were um, bailed out. And I think that if we look at a way of, if we had a long-term scheme for people to repay what they've actually had as a handout, um, again, from profits, I think that people would be quite, I know I'd be quite happy to pay back anything that I've had as a handout if you give us the time and we've got the cash to do it. And I think if we looked across all businesses, so rather than a knee-jerk reaction of going out and putting, uh, you know, capital tax up by four percentage points, I think that maybe a long-term approach to get all the money back might be a better idea. Do you agree, Tom? Yeah, I think, um, great idea. Um, I also think, and you probably won't believe I'm saying this, but I also think that we need a hypothecated tax. Let's put one pence on for higher rate taxpayers and put it straight to the NHS. Mm. Um, one, governments don't like this because it holds them to account where the taxpayers' money go. You will you will all, always hear me say in this show, governments don't have money, they just allocate our capital through taxation. And I am quite willing to pay that extra for the NHS because... The COVID pandemic was bad enough. We're going to hear from Prof Evans in a wee minute, but the waiting lists in the NHS, the cancer deaths that are coming our way because of undiagnosed and untreated cancer, we need a boost in the NHS and I'm willing to pay for it. Okay, one of the ways you can also pay capital gains tax. Should we increase it or cut it, Willie? The last time I read the figures for capital gains tax, it didn't make that much of a difference, I think, to the Treasury by tweaking it, not like, you know, the, the other taxes. So for me, I think we still have to have cent- incentives for people to be entrepreneurial. Uh, and, I, and I definitely think that that would be one of the last things I would look at as a means of, of helping the deficit. Tom? I would say, um, Donald, that the Laffer curve actually works. Um, what do I mean by that? <laughs> I mean by that, that it's the tax take that matters, not the tax rate that matters. And I believe with interest rates at historic lows, the, the Chancellor can borrow for the long term, I'm talking 50, 60 years, and I'm saying let's grow our way out of this. Let's not raise tax rates. Let's get the tax take up by growing the economy. So... Increasing by that, no, I'm not for it. Last week you talked about inheritance and you said you're happy for your kids to be wealthy but not super wealthy. <laughs> so inheritance tax, some people have advocated having it 100%. <laughs> so let's see, if your kids are listening in, Tom, what's your message? Well, I think inheritance tax is a really unfair tax because it's a double tax. You've paid tax on the income Um, somehow that you've made the money and then when you give it to your kids you get taxed again so I'm not for it Donald no Willie 100% not for it (laughs) I just think that's the the craziest idea I've ever heard 100% tax there's there's an incentive to work hard (laughs) all your life and you save money well what one area would you like to see the government focus on for the recovery very quickly Tom I'm all about growth Um, I'm all about growth because that's what gets our tax take up that's what gets people into work new job creation so anything that can be done for there you know we've got almost five million people in furlough today i mean that is that is unconscionable therefore we can't just stop that system i think it needs to be targeted to the sectors and the viable businesses that need it and it's got to be tapered off um to keep viable viable businesses that were before, keep them viable after, and anything we can do, scrap the NI, get jobs created and get us out of the hole we're in. Willie? Oh, I think job creation schemes, especially, you know, for the younger generation. But one of the things I would look at while we're on about old taxes and something that's never been muted, I think there should be a tax deduction to encourage you to employ more people. So I run a business and I employ 14,000 people and there's a guy around the corner who's an IT genius who turns over the same as me, employs 36 people and their taxes are both the same. 
So I believe there should be an incentive for the more people you employ, there should be a slight deduction in what you pay in tax. Well, let's hope the Chancellor is listening. Because coming up next, we'll be chatting to scientific entrepreneur Professor Chris Evans. And don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterInHockey. Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478 883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Professor Sir Chris Evans OBE is an internationally renowned scientific entrepreneur. He's launched, financed and built more than 40 life sciences companies that are now valued in excess of £8 an academic, a scientist, and a brilliant businessman. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Donald. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Pleasure. Hi, Chris. How you Hi, doing? Chris. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be up in Scotland, but not actually be up in Scotland. No, I mean. you're not allowed, Chris. You're not allowed. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's banned. Everyone's banned. Uh, it's an impressive CV, Chris. And But what fascinates me is that transition from academia to entrepreneurship. How did it come about? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that was a million years ago. That was in America. So I, I did my degree, PhD, and research fellowships uh, over here in, in Imperial College, etc. Made my way to America. I was a young professor in America. I was on about $20,000 a year, which meant I had, my rent was 16000 a year. I had 4000 to live on, right, oh, which is not very yeah. good. For a, a Welsh bloke in a bar could spend that in one night, right? So, <laughs> uh, so that was me. Anyway, I was a young prof, so everyone said, oh, you know, he's a very good young prof, like, Loads of lectures, academic writing papers. And, and I was actually quite happy. I'd, I'd achieved most of the goals I ever wanted to achieve in academia quite young. But there was something missing. And, um, uh, and one day I did see there was, there was a, what we called, a, it was a seminar lecture and there was a prof giver lecture. And he was actually useless. He was really dull, boring. <laughs> so I, I, my eyes wandered. And at the end of it, when we all applauded him for giving a rubbish talk, uh, my prof handed him a, a, an envelope and in it, I asked him afterwards, I said, what did you give that guy? And he goes, oh, well, it, it was his payment for the talk. I said, how much? He said, $1,000 cash. I was like, I said, you are kidding me. I'm just me eating pizza crusts, right, for a living, trying to survive. <laughs> and you just gave this geezer $1,000. And he goes, well, you, you know, you should do them. That was it. That was the moment. So I wrote my CV up quickly, posted it off to a number of companies, uh, no exaggeration, I had six companies out of six all invited me to come and give a talk. I then broke the news to them that I needed a $1,000 stipend to give the talk, and they all agreed a 1000 So when I got to the last two, I doubled it to 2000 and they paid that as well. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was collecting money for just talking, actually, and, and saying, you know, reasonably sensible scientific things. And each of those companies offered me a job. When I was there, whilst I was there talking on the stage, answering questions in detail about science. And so I went from my $20,000 a year to the best jobs in California. I was 78000 a year. So I, I literally took that job, made a transition in a matter of weeks from being an academic prof to being inside a, a bioscience business because they, they'd only just started in America. And then they ended up in Canada a year later on $120,000 a year. So then I realized I'm not going back now. I got all, I got all this money and I'm loving doing what I'm doing and I'm making products. So, yeah, that's how I did it. So, so Chris, just to let you know, Willie's turned down your fee request for today, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, if I was going to break the news to Willie, that it's 3000 3, to do a Scottish thing. But, uh, We've arranged a pizza yeah, to be delivered yeah, just to remind yeah. you of the old days. <laughs> but you, you, you went on to build uh, 8 billion of companies from nothing. Can you remember when you started out on your own with nothing and how you raised your first investment? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was back in 1986. So I'd come back from America and Canada. I'd uh, obviously made a little bit of money, but not huge sums because it, it was more salary over there. And I was working for an American bioscience company, but I was head of research in the UK. And I decided to leave and build my first startup company. I had lots of ideas 
big business plan. Bank manager told me to get lost, wouldn't even give me five grand for a car. That was true, by the way. That was uh, really kind of him. So I was on my own, wandering around with this huge business plan with 48 projects in it. And I, was, I went to see a venture capitalist, uh, and they asked me the obvious questions. Have you done this before? No. Have you raised money before? No. Have you run a business like this before? No. It's my first one. It's called a startup. There's a clue in the name. <laughs> and and they, uh, they said, in which case, we're not backing you. I said, so who do you back? And they said, well, people with new ideas. I thought, oh, fair. Anyway, so I... I, I <laughs> think that's about Wales just coming yeah, to that. Yeah, so I, I ended up... Uh, I went to see British Sugar, and a guy in British Sugar... And he just said, I love what you're doing. I love your projects. This will make us money. How much do you want? So I raised uh, 1.3 million from him. And that was my, it was in other words, corporate venture money as opposed to venture capital money. But I needed another million to equip my labs. And I didn't have it. But I got lucky. Like, I suppose you get lucky. You're an entrepreneur. You, you could, and, and I ran into a guy who was auctioning off 2 million of scientific equipment in Cambridge in an auction. And the auctioneer was the scientist himself who was being made redundant by a big American firm. So I bought him, I hired him and offered him a job and then bought all the two million kits for about 50K. And then, so I, I built a lab overnight, got my money from British Sugar and I was going and my startup was underway and I could back my projects. So that's, I'll always remember that because that, that is implant, imprinted on your brain forever. Well, you talk about being lucky most entrepreneurs would list a public company once in a lifetime if they were lucky. You've floated 20 companies that you yourself created, more than anyone else has ever done in the world. How did you make that happen and why? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you, I mean, think about it. When you do a public company, as Tom and Willie, people will know, the amount of transparency and intrusion into your life is massive. And I thought it was so horrific. I went and did it 20 times more. Uh, just to, to, just to press on with it. Uh, but what I did, uh, the first one I ever did, because um, I was intrigued like everybody else, and I went to London, met a, I met a lawyer who told me to meet a banker, and I met this banker, and he said, you, you know, if you can afford a company, you need a broker, Chris, and the stockbroker will do this. You've got to raise money from institutions. So I went to meet one of these institutions. I didn't know what an institution looked like, so I met this bloke, and he was a huge, rather large, fat guy with a cigar, but in fairness, he was an institution. And uh, then he said, you need, a, you need to meet the market makers. I met the market makers who decide the share price by four o'clock in the afternoon. Then I met nomads and so on and so on. And I then figured out how you did all of this with the stock exchange. Uh, and that's how I floated my first company. And within four months, I floated my second company, uh, Cairo Science. The first one went out at about 60 mil. The second one at 120 mil. Uh, so I did get better uh, as I went on. Uh, and then I did one in Germany. I figured out the rules in Germany. Then I figured out the rules in Switzerland. I did that one. And then I did some in NASDAQ in America. And then I did one in Japan on the Japanese uh, exchange. <laughs> Is there any criteria that's common to all the companies you've built or any reasons particularly behind that success story? Yeah, for me, I mean, I used to give presentations on this a lot, actually. And... Uh, in my, in my particular field, it's the product first, right? So, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If, if, the, pro if the product's useless, then you have no chance. So if I see somebody with a brilliant product, it's like, okay, that's brilliant. But what's the person? Who's the person? And who are the people with him? So you need a brilliant product and you need really good people, people who are experienced, uh, ambitious, energetic, enthusiastic, and, 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 you know, got everything you need to drive the product. Then it's the plans. Uh, I need to see what's the plan, what's the market, what's the market size, shape, blah, blah. how is this product going to work with its competitors? Then it's hard work. It's all about hard work. In all my companies, if you don't work hard, you don't get there. You think you're going to get there because you've got a great product, but you won't. You've got to work hard. And so great product, great people, great plan, hard work. Then you need money. Money's out of your control. The first four criteria are in your control. You can decide that's how you're going to run your business, right? Then you need to be lucky. That's the last one. Everybody, even Tom had a bit of luck. Everyone has to have a bit of luck. <laughs> you, you've got a motto of never giving up. But can you give an example of some of the challenges you've faced and the lessons that people listening in might learn from how you've gone about tackling things? Lots of, of my biggest successes were became problems at some stage, you know, quite serious problems. So it, it's literally the, the motto of never giving up. 
is is is, is crucial uh, with me because these are long things. Bioscience companies in particular uh, are always five to fifteen years. And uh, we had one company called Biovex. I think I might have told Tom about it before. I mean, that was really long and hard. It consumed about forty million of cash. Uh, we got so far in the trials, we'd run out of money. There'd been the credit crunch, the downturn. Banks hated biotech companies. Everyone hated biotech companies at that stage. And you just couldn't get forward at all. And, and you find your way. So we just moved everybody to Boston, to America, from, from the UK. And you do, you, did, you do things that you don't expect to ever do, raise more money. That company was sold for a billion cash, by the way. So suddenly, mega success. But it was nearly a disaster in the middle, that failure in the middle. But I tell you I tell, a little anecdote, and I ain't got enough time to tell you the whole story. But Tom will never give up. Tom will know this one. Uh, about 20 odd years ago, I bought a parrot for my daughter's birthday, right? <laughs> You're not a parrot and, story, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I bought a parrot in Harrods, right? And, and that's where you go for a parrot. <laughs> anyway, we had this, he's fantastic, five months old, and he escaped from his cage and gone. And he's, he's still a young baby, temperatures minus five. And the vets told me, he'll be dead in 48 hours. You've got no chance of finding him. So daughter's upset, everyone's upset. I went looking everywhere, couldn't find him. Lots of different stories, which Tom knows a few about. Ended up climbing a railings, Norland Gardens, behind the shed one night in the rain with a torch, trying to find my parrot. And two coppers got me and grabbed me. They found me <laughs> and said, what are you doing there? And I said, I'm looking for my parrot. So they then made me show them ID and I had a leather jacket on with no shirt underneath. Uh, and they put a torch on. This is gospel true. They went professor, Sir Chris Evans, OBE, DSC, fellow, Rosai, fellow, Kenzie fellow. They said, sir, is that your jacket? Uh, and then they nicked me. So they took me down. They told the sergeant, he's lost his parrot and he's nicked the jacket. Uh, and, and Chris, I, Chris, can I come in and see you? Chris, Chris, can I see you? That is the worst excuse I've ever heard for someone getting caught being a peeping Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. Sorry. But the never giving up bit was... I went on and on for months and months and I hired a parrot detective I found on the internet. And this parrot detective, he found, after nine months, he found my little parrot alive yeah. in a kid with a, with a blind woman in Essex. And because uh, she was blind, she thought it was a budgie and so she never told anyone that she had a parrot. She didn't know it was yellow either. Folks, this oh, is a yeah. real show. You are not still dreaming. No. That was a story about a parrot. Uh, oh, never give that's up. part of business advice. Never, ever give never up. Give up. Never give up. Never give up. You've also, you know, you've had your fair share, as we've heard, of amazing success stories. What are you most proud of and why? Um, I mean, obviously, you're always proud if a company, Kyroscience got over a billion, Biovex over a billion, Vector over a billion. So you, they're from startups, right, from zero. So I love all that. But it, for me... The proudest things of the science. So I look back over 30 odd years to little premature babies, uh, and we saved literally many, many thousands very quickly when we developed the world's first lung surfactant uh, for premature babies. That went on and on around uh, the globe. Other people made these products and they spread so millions and millions of babies being saved. Uh, but seeing the first one that was dying, little purple premature baby, then turning back to flesh colored in an incubator, you think, wow. And we just given that little boy the rest of his life with a little squirt of white stuff in his throat. They, they are mega proud moments. Then further down the line, you know, decades later, when I'm doing bigger and bigger things with cancer drugs, where we did trials where, you know, a certain number should have all died, terminal cancer, and they didn't. They didn't. We turned them all back. Fantastic moments because you're just changing people's lives, you know, possibly forever. And that's because we did what we did and we made what we made and we financed what we financed. And so I love it. They are my proudest moments of those things. Well, you're also obviously immersed in the medical and health world. As a bioscientist, what do you make of the government's handling uh, of COVID up until now and the respective roadmaps out of the pandemic? It's, uh, well, remember, <laughs> all the different governments around the world have taken slightly different approaches, so we could be here for hours. But I think in, in fairness to our own government, that obviously has come in for masses of criticism from all sides. Nobody really knew what they were getting into, right, when he was coming down the track. And, and of course, with hindsight, everybody seems to think they knew more at the time when they didn't. Uh, and, we, you know, it's obvious we never had enough PPE and we never had enough uh, ventilators. And we didn't have any drugs and we didn't have any vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. So there was huge panic and chaos about what we should do. 
And I, I, but I do think the government, one of the things that I did notice, they, they took the lid off spending uh, very quickly. They just really began investing massively in vaccines and in new drug trials, uh, of which I was a recipient of one of them as well. Uh, and we all got on doing these things very well and lots of investment in testing and so on, so on, so on. So they, they have actually done all of the right things to varying degrees of success. The vaccine is, is a massive success on the global scale, world, world first, world leading in terms of what we've achieved and what we've done. So you can't take that away from the government. And, and I think now they are, their ideas of applying testing uh, mass testing all of the time for the next 12 months, maybe for the next two years, is the right thing to do as well. Because if you don't test, you don't know and you don't see. So the government's doing that. But and the lockdowns, yes, they could have been slightly earlier. Airports could have been locked down earlier. Border controls could have been tighter. Um, so lots of, you know, should we, should we, should we? But I, I think on the whole, they've been, they've been pretty good in this country. But of course, uh, Scotland, I only know so much about it. And uh, I gather you're heading for zero COVID, which would be fantastic. Good luck with that, Nicola, because you've got no chance. <laughs> well, m- moving swiftly on, then, <laughs> uh, post-pandemic, how would you stimulate business growth? We've got the budget coming up on Wednesday. How do you create the right environment for innovation and entrepreneurship? Well, number one, they can forget increasing taxes. I mean, you, you just you, you can forget that altogether. You, if, if the other way around, they need to really, for me, eliminate capital gains tax. Let anybody who's made any money, let them roll it back in. People, you know, instead of taking it off and buying hotels overseas or whatever, let them roll it back into the businesses they want to roll it into and, and take, take a risk uh, with people. You've got, the, the government's got to encourage investors to, to step up and take more risks. And they should be encouraging youngsters as well, I, I think, just to, to take more risks because, I mean, the only thing worse than an old foggy is a young foggy. So, you know, you're young. Nobody knows who you are. You shouldn't be afraid of failing. Just get on with it and just start building up, go faster businesses. Uh, but I think the government can only give financial incentives for people to invest money in new, new enterprises and speed it up and get on with it. So I hope they will do that and don't do any, don't do the opposite. Chris, it's um, Tom here. Tom. Um, I was I was looking back and we actually got you to come up to Scotland almost 15 years ago when we had our second Enlightenment dinner and you set out a strategy of how Scotland could take a world-leading position in biotech. Now, Scotland didn't do it, but you went on to run that programme for the Welsh government. But if you were running Scotland today, Chris, and you were to say, right, this is what I see in terms of biotech, what are the things you would create in Scotland so that entrepreneurs in your field could flourish and Scotland could take a world-leading position in it? Uh, I think it's similar, Tom, to um, uh, things that we've all done in the past because we look at the success, the way California and, and, and Boston, New York, built their successes, their clusters, and Oxford and Cambridge and, and even Wales to a certain extent. So there's got to be, you know, Scotland for example, could create a very large bioscience fund, right? There's, there's plenty of finance and financial institutions in or associated with Scotland. There are loads of, of, of billionaires and, and entrepreneurs connected to Scotland, even if they live overseas. So creating what I call medical bioscience innovation type funds in that space, uh, Scotland could do that. That could be government could seed it, the government could structure it, but inviting lots of other people. So you get that. You need to bring together the investors, again, from abroad or from, you know, from England, from anywhere, venture capitalists, people, and cluster them around that fund. They want to know, those investors, that Scotland itself is backing its own enterprise up in Scotland. You've got great universities, right, you know, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, Strathclyde, etc., with and Dundee, with great track records of spinning out technologies and spin-out companies. I think I, I said all that at the Enlightenment. And, there's, and yet they all end up vaporizing. They, they build them up and they bought and they've gone abroad. You know, I'm aware of several US big pharma groups who bought great Scottish bioscience startups for hundreds of millions and they're gone. You know, so there's no legacy left in Scotland uh, and you need to start building that again. 
uh, and encouraging you know those universities, encouraging those spin-out startups and, and people to get in them. Uh, but they do need money. They will need money from seed funds, uh, venture funds, you know, government-backed funds. The government should, you know, Scottish government should create some financial incentives again to stimulate all of that. In terms of the areas, you need to now look at how the world's changed, of course, because of the pandemic. And uh, the way, you, for example, the way in which uh, testing is being done at home and mass testing is being done at different premises. We never even dreamt of doing much of that two years ago and now it's going to become commonplace in all disease areas I think for the rest of our lives Well you've certainly outlined a blueprint for future prosperity Thank you Chris All right, uh, Chris. To have you on board. Lovely to hear Thanks. from you Thanks Chris Thank you Willie Thank you Tom Thank you Donald Coming up next is The Board You Can't Afford with Hunter and Hockey Don't forget if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. Don't forget, if you have any questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey. We're now going to our phone lines and our first caller is Andrew Dobby from Made Brave. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Yeah, um, hi, hi, Willie. Hi, Tom. Um, so I'm, I'm the founder of uh, a global strategic brand agency called Made Brave. Um, and I suppose last year we introduced a work from anywhere policy for our team. Um, I suppose trying to empower them to kind of work where, when and how they choose with flexibility and sort of minimum constraints. And I suppose um, given the events of the, the past year, it's now hard to imagine a time where... Um, you know, co- companies wouldn't even consider letting you know the employees work remotely. So, so my, my my question for you is, how do you see the future of the workplace post pandemic? Tom, um, hi Andrew, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I I keep reading about you in the press. So well done on your success. Um, I think, especially in the creative industries, um, human interaction is essential, and um, your workforce are probably going to be a bit younger. Um, they're they're obviously they've got to get together to spark ideas. I don't think it works over Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it's going to be. And um, certainly in some of the businesses we're involved with, um, getting human interaction and human ideas sparking is essential. Um, I don't think. Many people are going back to Monday to Friday every day in the office and the commute, etc. Yeah. But I do believe young people need the interaction, creative people need the interaction. And um, I mean, how's it all working out for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, obviously at the moment we're all forced into fully remote. But, uh, you know, I think like yourself, I, I believe that the, the future is kind of more of a hybrid approach. I mean, um, what, what we're trying to do is now turn our studio, our office into a destination that um, people would want to come to but don't have to come to because I, I do agree. I think I think you, you, you learn a lot in the, the office environment, you know, from just seeing how people interact with each other and how, and you know, and, and there's kind of an energy that's missed. But I suppose where, where we're trying to get to is to ultimately be as flexible as possible so that, because I think we all, we all work in different ways, don't we? So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's trying to find that kind of hybrid balance, I you know, I think is where where we're headed. But yeah, I was I was I was keen to know your thoughts. So. Willie, what's your thoughts on the right balance? Andrew, thanks for calling in. Uh, I think that uh, from my own personal experience, we have a headquarters here in Glasgow. We've got nine hundred people generally be working there in the day. Yeah. Over the last twelve months, Andrew, I think we've got about forty on average. Yeah. Um, for us, it's all about the service we provide for our clients, and I'm told that we monitor we are monitoring this on a weekly basis. 
I am told the offer to our clients is actually better than it's been. Yeah. So for me, I have got no doubt that things will change dramatically. Uh, and one of the things I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to actually survey everyone who works for us and say who prefers to work from home. Yeah. Does it suit them? Does it suit them in relation to childcare, travel, all of these things? And I think now that we've got the flexibility to work with the people, you know, um, our colleagues to see who would prefer to work from home. It's interesting. Some of the feedback I've had from HR is, is that a lot of the younger people that they miss the social interaction of being yep. in the office, and they would certainly like to come back. I think at the at the very best, Andrew, going forward, that of the 900 people, I think will probably be working like two weeks from home, two weeks on, two weeks off. So I, I think that things are, and I think that's going to change for the better. You know, the more people yeah. we go off the road, the more cars we go off the road, the more difficult we have, you know, people having to travel in the winter. So I think for me, what COVID has done is give us a, a, a good chance to look at how we actually work. Yeah, I think that's that, that, that's what I'm hearing from you know a lot of our clients as well. I think it's you know I read a nice quote the other day that kind of coming out of the pandemic, you need to come out of it with a beginner's mind. So rather than going back to to what was there before and sort of looking for that, it's trying to think about what 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 would it better look like. And I I, I totally agree with like you know why do we why should we have people commuting when we don't need them to commute? It's you know it's so much better for the environment. Um, and it just you know again everyone's got. You know, everyone's home life is different, and I think that the days are kind of gone of where you have to leave home. You know, when you come into work, you know, there used to be that old saying, um, you know, you know, leave leave your home life at home. But I think I think more and more so in a good way. Um, you know, um, our, our life is about finding balance, isn't it? And, uh, and about trying to find the best way of working for, for each individual within their business. Andrew, can I just come back in? Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things that I've been thinking about for years and years, I would, I would love to help you know, all my colleagues to, to get their life work balance thing right. And I've been trying to explore ways for years and years to extend the weekend being Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. And through this, maybe that, you know, people work longer for four days, but get more days off. And again, that was me getting people all off the road for, you know, for one day. And I think that COVID has, has given us that opportunity to also to look at that. In fact, we can do more maybe, but working from home. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, whatever, the one thing you're right about is the strap line when we come out of this is nothing will ever be the same. Yeah, yeah. Indeed it won't. So, Andrew, are you happy with that, the insight and advice? Yes, fantastic. Thank you very much. Right. And, uh, yeah. Um, good luck. It. Good luck, yeah. Andrew. We would love to hear you back on to let us know how it's going. So, good luck to you. Oh, definitely will. Okay, thanks then. Cheers. Take care. Next up, we've got David Keyes from Key Signs Limited. And he's got some questions for Tom and Willie. Welcome to the show, David. Hi there. Thank you very much for taking my call. Delighted. What do you want to ask Tom and Willie? Um, my, my question is, um, I'm a small sign company and um, we were supplying graphics to a, a larger uh, multinational company. But the, one of the transport managers had left and a new guy had came in and all of a sudden we were just taking out the, the equation of supplying the, the graphics to the company. Um, there was no... I've tried contacting a guy and phoning and just my emails and calls were kind of ignored. So it's kind of, is there a way forward? Do, do the guys have an advice and a way forward? To, should I be chasing up people above them? Or? Well, I think Willie's desperate to answer you on that. Hi, David. Hiya. Can I ask you a question? What yes. percentage of your business was, was that client? Um, um, I'm going to say it would be about maybe 15%. Okay. So, although you don't like losing a client, it's not the end of the world, it's not 30, 35% of your client. No, 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 not at all. No, no. Yeah, unfortunately, in business, you know, when, you're, you know, the, when you're supplying a service, you know, personal relationships with people you obviously built up over a, a you know, 12, 15 year period. And unfortunately, sometimes when a change of personnel happens at a business, this can happen and it happens. You know, this will happen every day to businesses. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's happened to us in the past. I think uh -huh. really it's about. Try to, you will know when you get to the end, and it's that you'll know that going above people is never a good idea. Yeah. 
Sure. But if you feel as if it's your last option and you've got nothing to lose, you may want to, you know, to to to, to go down that route. Uh-huh. But I, I think that the the situation is that it's one if you believe that you are supplying a superior product, a sub a, a, a superior cost, yeah. and you think that you've been unfairly treated, then I would certainly say that as again as a last resort, I would certainly bring that to the people above. But the, but you will know and understand that the problem is you have to deal with this guy every day going forward, and sure, it's never yeah. a good idea. So my advice would be, it's always. But what I would do is first and foremost, my first advice, don't give up with him. Uh, uh, uh. Right. You know, so I would say, look, we've been a, a you know a loyal supplier for 12, 15 years at least. Try and get a sit down with him to mm-hmm. see if you can get a you know a, you know if you can get that opportunity to put your case. And if you feel after that that you're wasting your time, and you only go above if you definitely think you've been unfairly treated. I mean, I don't think I was unfairly treated. I just think um, you know you're supplying a good service. As much, I always think of, and in business, there's 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 loads of people doing what you do, and sometimes the service you supply is as important as the actual product that you supply. Yep. You know, but you didn't get a chance to tender. It was just a ch- just a change. It was just a change, and then and and the, the business just stopped. The thing is, it's not affected that it's affected my business as such. It's it's still, you know, going along quite strongly, and things are yep. are okay. It's just it's just more the fact. Yeah, it's just disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing is you've bounced back from that and the advice that Willie was giving was don't give up and we've heard it in many, many of the shows been out, so never give up. Uh, hopefully things will go from strength to strength from you now, David. Thank, thanks for uh, taking my question. Thanks for your um, your uh, advice, Willie. Thanks, Thank you very much. Thanks for calling in. Good luck, good, good luck. luck. No bother. Good right, luck. Cheers now. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. We're now going to... Gail Dolan, who's from Alzheimer's Scotland, uh, an organisation that we in the Herald are working very closely with as part of their campaign to improve care. Um, Gail, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Delighted. So you've got some questions for Tom and Willie, so over to you. Thank you. Um, hi, guys. Hi. Hi, hi um, Gail. Hi. Um, like many charities, you know, Alzheimer's Scotland rely on the support of our corporate partners, not just for financial reasons, through awareness raising, volunteering and network opportunities. We know that corporate social responsibility and supporting charitable causes is key for many businesses now. It forms a significant part of the strategy as well. You know, through the pandemic, I've seen firsthand some partnerships naturally take a bit of a back seat. We've seen others thrive and we're continuing to adapt our offering to make sure it's sustainable for the post-pandemic. In your opinion, for both of you, you know, how do you see the future of corporate partnerships changing post-pandemic and how do you think charities need to change their approach when building relationships in the private sector? Tom? Hi, Gail. How are you? I'm all right, Tom. Good. Um, First of all, have you got um, Alzheimer's Scotland involved with the Kilt Walk? Yes, and just to say a massive thank you to yourself <laughs> um, for the funding that we receive from the Kilt Walk is just absolutely phenomenal. The match funding that we get with over a million pounds in the last few years from yourself, which is fantastic. And we have a huge amount of participants that do take part from us. Brilliant. So, I mean, that's, that's the first thing. And then every business now has to think about the corporate responsibility. And one of the things we do at Kilt Walk is we help companies. And first of all, they think, oh, well, we've got a charity, Tom. And I said, well, that's great. But if you're involved with the Kilt Walk, we will top it up by 50%. We don't prescribe the charity. Therefore, we actually help charities go into corporate partners with a proposition that said, if you, the corporate, will um, step up here, we're going to get 50% on top. And that has really helped some charities. So, um, I mean, speak to Paul Cooney, speak to the team at Kilt Walk. They are, they are right up for this scale. And I really do wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much. Really? Yeah. Morning, Gail. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Willie. Hi. Gail, what I would say is, um, fortunately or unfortunately, um, 
Alzheimer's um, is obviously high profile at the moment. Um, and I think that um, post the pandemic that um, there'll be an opportunity, you know, for, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in, in, in the media over the last few months about dementia, about Alzheimer's. Um, I, I, I think that, that you should seize that opportunity. And I think that corporate social responsibility, it, you know, is, is now up there with the, you know, the ESG as well. And I, and I think that more and more companies um, will look at their, their CSR than have in the past. Uh, and I think that there'll be an opportunity for you there to, you know, but I think there'll be more doors open than there has been. Uh, and, I, and I think I'm, I'm sure that you do a good job at the moment, but I think that this should, this should help you, certainly, as, if you want to increase the, your, your corporate partners. Um, I think there's got to be an opportunity after, after we've, we've got the, the vaccine rolled out and people are trying to get back to normal. And hopefully... Hopefully, Gail, lots of people or businesses listening in uh, will get behind you and support you if you're going to join in Kilt Walk. So thank you for calling. Are you feeling a bit more encouraged? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got loads in plan, loads of different things that um, we can share with corporates to absolutely benefit them. It's a joint partnership for us. It's not just about fundraising. It's about what we can deliver to our business to make them and their people better and more engaged as well. So exciting times ahead. Thank you so much. Good luck, Gail. Good luck, Gail. Good luck, Gail. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. For all the details you need about today's show and information on how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.com. And don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. With Clark Epos UK Limited, faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Fed up paying increasingly high gas and electricity bills for your business? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We scour the market to find you the best deals possible. Just send us your latest bills and leave the rest to us. Our customers are hardworking everyday businesses just like yours. Clark Epos UK Limited. Call today on 01698 478 883 and start saving right now.